The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. John chapter number one uh, in your scriptures. Uh, I left my bulletin down there. Jesse, can you just... Uh, it doesn't matter. Hopefully they both say the same thing. Um, I might have my notes, though, on one. You're right. Yes, thank you. All right. That, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you for your service. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord in John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made to him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe uh, through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and to his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace, grace upon grace. And the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. For no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Well, there are two ways at least to approach the sermon text this morning. Uh, one would be a deep dive into the uh, pool of theological reflection and think about the mystery and joy of what it means for the Word uh, to become flesh. Many books and commentators have worked uh, at trying to uh, plumb the depths of what does John mean when he writes these words which are so powerful and so very challenging. That's one way to approach this text. The other is to put the truth uh, into a narrative of action as we consider the implications of God taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The sermon title, Be Like Scrooge, is then the giveaway for which approach I'm taking. This will not be a deep dive into the pool of theology. It will be on the other side, the other application, which is putting the truth into action. 
There are two movies I make sure to watch every Christmas. One is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I wa- uh, Ron and I and our family have watched that almost every Christmas Eve for well over two decades with Frank and Cindy Farley. After we finish with the Christmas Eve service, we go back to our house, eat food, and we're to the point now where we just kind of narrate the movie. Uh, we just kind of narrate it and, and improve it. We've actually improved the movie also. <laughs> along the way. Um, the other uh, movie um, is uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life is actually based on a short story called The Greatest Gift, which was written in 1943. That story is loosely based on the book by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, which was written 100 years earlier in 1843. Both books, turned into movies, present protagonists who cannot get out of the bed that they have made for themselves. Their names are familiar. Everyone has heard, I assume, of Ebenezer Scrooge, and I suspect most people also know who Mr. Potter is. In the It's a Wonderful Life story, Mr. Potter is presented to us as an unrepentant, self-absorbed man who is willing to see his fellow man, George Bailey, even unjustly sent to prison simply out of spite and jealousy. But his attempt to destroy George Bailey is overturned and undone by the selfless love of Mrs. Bailey and the people of Bedford Falls. If you want to get a sense of how the power of evil works to destroy a person, just watch the last few scenes of the movie. George has been rescued by the lovable angel Clarence. George then runs through the streets with joy as he uh, sees the things that he thought were binding him that now are a gift to him. They're given to him as a gift of joy. He knows that the bank examiner is waiting, that the accounts will have to be settled, and at least the potential exists for him to go to prison. But his joy is not going to be abated. He runs home to the love of his family. George uh, even reconciles, he even reconciles, you might remember that pesky cap at the top of the railing post that throughout the movie comes off, at one point he's just going to throw it through a window, you know? He even reconciles with that as he looks at it, kind of smiles, puts it back in in its place. What George Bailey doesn't know is that his wife has gathered friends and family to come and help rescue him. As the room then fills up with singing and wine is being shared and the friends and family have gathered around and we see that scene. So joyful, so full of life, so full of energy, we have to ask the question, who isn't there? Who isn't there? It's the wealthy and powerful Mr. Potter, who is still sitting in his dingy office, thinking that he's the ruler of the city. The book and the movie leave us to assume that Potter is still under the power of evil. An evil that is so sinister and so destructive that it has rendered him unable to see how loveless and lifeless he has become, even though he has all the money that anyone could want. 
George Bailey is redeemed by the love of neighbors. And the work of evil is overturned. And yet, with that same love, Mr. Potter is condemned. And the work of evil overtakes him fully. But when you read or watch uh, A Christmas Carol by Dickens, we're taken to a different conclusion. Ebenezer Scrooge is also a money-grubbing man who would rather see the surplus population decreased than to reach into his wealth and provide help for the needy. He is alienated from the only family that he actually has. He is not even willing to allow the faithful employee, Bob Cratchit, to have an extra piece of coal to stay warm in his office. This is how demanding a self-absorbed person can become. People who have studied A Christmas Carol believe that the very name Scrooge is a cleaned-up version of an old English word, screws, S-C-R-U-Z-E, which means to squeeze or press. The point Dickens makes by naming his character Scrooge is that evil recoils on people. The tight-fisted Scrooge squeezes people harshly with his bah-humbug attitude and his lack of love, but what he cannot see is how he is being squeezed as well. In It's a Wonderful Life, Potter is described as a warped, frustrated old man. But in A Christmas Carol, Dickens tells us that Scrooge is a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel has ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. This is how evil works as a destructive force that recoils on people. Over his life, Scrooge was being destroyed by a force that appeared at first to be rather innocent. Hard work, smart business dealings, self-denial. But what Scrooge couldn't see was that he was forging chains that would bind him and actually would bring him to the brink of hell. That was the testimony of Jacob Marley, the ghost who visited first and said to his former partner Scrooge, Marley says, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. In the George Bailey story, the author uses an angel to deliver a helpless man. But in uh, A Christmas Carol, the words of deliverance come from ghosts, uh, the one of Christmas past and present and future as they visit Scrooge through the night. And unlike Mr. Potter, who stays in an unrepentant state, we actually get to see the rescue and recovery of Ebenezer Scrooge as each ghost shows Scrooge something about the meaning of love. In, in Scrooge's past life, it was love he lost. In his present life, it is love he's neglecting. 
And in the life to come, he will definitely have a loveless existence in hell. That's how Dickens tells the story. But you know, once Scrooge is rescued, his life changes. He now gives with great generosity. He laughs, he dances, he accepts the love of those who tried to love him. So complete is the turnaround that Dickens tells us that Scrooge began to keep Christmas in his heart. In other words, it was not just an outward expression that came rather quickly and cheaply after the visitation by the ghost, but that it was a lasting change that took place deep within him. Scrooge is now able to get out of the bed he made for himself, the power of evil broken. And this is why I'm telling you, somewhat with tongue-in-cheek, be like Scrooge. Not the former Scrooge, forging his chains with life under the control of evil, but the Scrooge that is now free. The Scrooge that is able to embrace love and give love and live love through a life of generosity that overflows. But if I were to stop the sermon here, I would condemn you to live a life like the ducks I was talking about at the Christmas Eve service that appear to be floating aimlessly across the water, but underneath they're paddling furiously. You see, the two stories are, are helpful to get a point across, but they are not in any way explicitly Christian because they do not present Jesus Christ as the one who breaks the power of evil. To quote an author, I read every uh, Advent and then uh, every Lent, Fleming Rutledge. In her book on Advent, she writes, In Christian proclamation, there can be no suggestion that the outcome hangs in the balance, depending on how human beings behave. Rather, the way human beings behave is determined by the mysterious grace of God that justifies the ungodly. Each Sunday as a church, we proclaim that the power of evil was broken because Jesus Christ came into the world. It is, as the Apostle John wrote, that he is light, and the light comes into the world and the darkness cannot overtake the light any more than when maybe you have a power outage and you grab the flashlight and everything is dark and black and you turn on the flashlight and that little flashlight begins to fill the room with light. Jesus enters into the darkness of this world, but the darkness cannot sustain the light. It cannot withhold the light. It cannot keep the light back. The light shines because in Jesus Christ is the one who breaks the power of evil. And each Sunday we proclaim this. Each Sunday we make this clear that the word that became flesh, the word that dwelt among us, is full of grace and full of truth. We make it clear that the power of evil was broken through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I can be rescued from the beds that we have made for ourselves. The beds that we don't think we're able ever to get out of, we are able to get out of because of a power that is superior 
to the power that holds us. Lovelessness, pride, bitterness, fear, unforgiveness. Whatever power, whatever change you have forged, whatever habits you have formed, through the resurrected Christ, the one who was crucified, who bore our sins in his body, evil has been broken. Evil has been moved off the mark. The Christian gospel explicitly says that rescue comes through Jesus Christ. And you know, I pray that you might listen with fresh ears to the good news of Jesus. And that you might once again come to the glory and wonder of the one who is, as the Apostle Paul wrote, the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These are not merely religious reflections or mere theological insights. Instead, they reveal that the power of the living God was poured out in Jesus Christ and that that power is infinitely superior to the power of evil. And while we can learn good lessons from the two stories I've talked about, again, we should note they are not explicitly Christian. They do not give explicitly Christian answers to the problem of evil as a destructive power a power that holds this world in its grasp and that is dooming people to hell. No, I'm glad to use them. I think they work well as an illustration to point us to the possibility of a much greater transformative truth. And that transformative truth is that your life can be different through the power of Jesus Christ, a power that comes to transform. The Apostle John reminds the church of this when he writes that when we receive Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, we are given authority to become children of God. And this birth that comes to us is not through blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but it is from God. When the will of God gets involved in the transformation of a sinner then the power of evil that held that sinner is no match. That's why I had Dave read the passages from Daniel and Revelation. I wanted us to hear once again that the baby born in Bethlehem is the king who presently rules with transcendent power. And his power is among us today, poured out in his word in the power of the Holy Spirit. At the end of A Christmas Carol, there is a powerful scene when the proud and arrogant Scrooge is broken. He pleads with the ghost to not live, leave him in the darkness of hell. When he wakes, it's Christmas morning. And what we see that his repentance is not a foxhole repentance. He immediately does life differently. The big oversized goose hanging in the uh, poultry shop goes to Bob Cratchit's house anonymously. 
The men who were collecting money for the poor receive a donation that includes many back payments. Scrooge's nephew Fred now has his uncle at Christmas dinner. And then on the next day, the day when Bob Cratchit is supposed to be back at work even a little bit earlier but is late, we see Scrooge being a bit playful. Cratchit is confused and worried, but as, as love pours out of Scrooge towards Cratchit's family, we hear the echo of Tim saying, God bless us, everyone. As I close then, I want to make this truth as clear as God will allow. No one is too far gone if it is the will of God for salvation to reach them. No one is too far gone. No culture or country is too far gone if it is the will of God for that culture or country to have the power of evil broken and salvation brought. Same is true for this hamlet. The same is true for the village of Fort Edward where we continue to labor. And so we lean into the power of God in Jesus Christ and we plead with God to break the evil that holds people today. And in this season of trial and testing, may we as a church endure with love, patience, and forgiveness so that those who are in need of rescue out there can find in us the love and peace of Jesus Christ. May we, like Scrooge, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And as we do, may God be so gracious to get us and others out of the beds we've made for ourselves and break the chains that we have forged through our own actions. Beloved, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. It is glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and it is full of grace, and it is full of truth. Now, Father, I thank You so much for your word that has come to us this morning. And I pray right now, O oh Lord, for wherever this might settle into our hearts and minds, that we would with great sensitivity respond to it. And with intentionality, we might consider and think about our own lives, change that we have forged that need to be broken. Would we not, O oh God, set on, out on some kind of a self-improvement plan but would we see how you, O oh God, through the power of Christ, poured out through your church, can break the chains that bind us. Before we sing, we're going to give you an opportunity to reflect and think and pray and call out to God. And of course, if you need further counsel uh, to seek for me or somebody to pray with you or talk to you and to encourage you in the good things that God would do in your life, let's be quiet before him. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.